Hey everyone, welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. I'm half of your host, Nicholas Laraman. I'm joined by the other half of the host, uh, Mr. Gabriel Krauser. Gabriel Krauser. How's it, How guys? Are you, sir? Girls, men and women, young and old. So you can I uh, I can see uh, your 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 surroundings. You can't see mine. Mine are very boring because I'm uh, still in Joburg. Um, I had a lovely heritage day. Um, but that's not particularly important because you're doing something fun and interesting out in the sticks. Is that uh, is that correct? Yes, I am currently in the uh, tea garden of of cities in KwaZulu Natal, namely Peter Maritzburg. And I am in its most famous, lush and illustrious uh, tea restaurant. Um, they've asked me not to say its name, uh, but they've, uh, for the sake of silence, put me at the back of the uh, sort of herb garden. So there are shapely trimmed trees and herbaceous smells oozing through the thick, hot air. It's about 35 degrees here. Oh, Yes, no, it's a it's a rather hot day. I mean, even up where I am, it's it's a bit warm. Um, so I can only imagine the uh, the uh, the things you're going through right now. Down towards the coast, it's amazing because this tea garden, of course, is 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 mostly populated. Every time I come to Petermaritzburg, I come here, and you always see this uh, sort of uh, procession of of grandmothers and granddaughters uh, coming to partake of the ritual of tea. Um, it's uh, it's not something that was big in my life, uh, but it, it it sort of gives me a sense of of a cultural tradition uh, that I'm very fun to right. to observe. That uh, tea is great, and uh, the hot tea though, the hot tea on this hot day, whoo! It's uh, it, it's there's something magical about tea. you know you, you know culture, you know origi- culture matters. <laughs> it originally comes from uh, peoples in the like sort of mountainous, jungly areas uh, in the area of Assam in India, on the border with um, China and Myanmar. Um, apparently, people used to chew it while they walked around in the mountains and stuff, and then uh, it uh, eventually got distilled by the Chinese and the Indians much later. So it has a yeah, long and, and interesting. You history. know what? You know what Mao Zedong said? He said all, yeah. all human beings can be categorized into four or eight categories or something. And the lowest of the low are the fat, spectacled, uh, sweaty revisionists of history. He, he said they were the worst <laughs> of the worst. And I think uh-huh. uh, he would accuse you of that right now because, of course, the tri- Chinese tradition has it that tea was uh, invented by some monk who was sitting below a thing and the wind blew and the leaf landed in his hot cup. And then he said, mm, that is good. I mean, I mean yeah. that makes, makes some sense because at some point they did have to. I think the stories are compatible because at some sense they had to make the, the journey from chewing the leaves to drinking the leaves. Yeah, more likely someone spat it out or <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. might be the true, sad, the sadly true, but amazing story. We don't know. Yeah, what do we really I know? I can't imagine they tasted particularly good, to be honest. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, just uh, commenting briefly on, on, on my travels down here. So I was in Newcastle earlier this week. Uh, we, we came down to Newcastle on the first Saturday of September because on the last Saturday of August, Glenn and Vito Rafferty were shot dead uh, at their home and farm after returning from dinner with friends. And it's a very perplexing murder. It, it captured the imagination of the nation and uh, and of the community. It, it sort of really stirred up strong feelings um, of mourning, of commemoration, and a, and a demand for some respect. So there was a protest there on the first Saturday of the month. We went down to cover that by 3,000 people. Uh, I made some videos about it, wrote some reports, and Sihleng Gubesi, Big Daddy Liberty, my colleague, did the same. Um, yeah. And then the story evolved because uh, Becky Kele, Minister of Police, as well as the Premier of KZN and various other top officials came up to Newcastle to have an imbizo, and, uh, and things just got much worse, actually. Things were great at the, at the, at the are peaceful protest. Are you protest. telling me? That Becky Tere made things worse. Well, I don't want to blame it all on him. Uh, he he, <laughs> well, did he did make things definitely, better. Yeah, I mean, he got like he got fielded a 
question about one of the farmers who is related to Glenn and Vita Rafferty, Roland Collier, asked him, uh, he, he was being accused. There were some very angry people who were saying, someone said, uh, I, I wish I could say this properly in Zulu, but I can't, so I'll just say it in English. Where do our problems come from? They all come from umlungus, from white people. And, uh, and, and that, was, that, that got some cheers, and then they asked Becky Clearly, why are you afraid of the white people? Only when white people complain do you come, when black people complain that you don't come. Now, there's some truth to this. Uh, Newcastle's most famous murder case, probably, uh, involves a former ANC Youth League member who spoke out against the current mayor and uh, was mysteriously killed. And then the accusation was that the mayor had ordered the hit and the mayor was arrested and put to trial. Uh, but one of the key witnesses was shot dead uh, in front of the Standard Bank, one of state's witness, uh, in, in town. And shortly thereafter, all of the other witnesses appeared in court to say uh, that they had given evidence against the mayor before, but that's only because they'd been harassed and intimidated into doing that. And in fact, the mayor is perfectly innocent and fantastic. Oh, so <clears throat> very convenient. Right. So at the time, uh, the minister of police did not come to Newcastle. And in some ways, I would, I would say that that is an issue even more pressing for national attention. Yeah. Political, political uh, murders are not a, not a very good thing for the stability and health of a society. Yeah, uh, but, but, it, but it, they are also fairly common in KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, and so that was somewhat overlooked. So there is this valid complaint, but of course the, the, the accompanying claim that all of our problems come from white people is, is just blatantly racist and unacceptable. And Becky Kala, instead of uh, addressing that, uh, sort of uh, said, no, 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 don't, don't make the mistake of thinking I'm afraid of white people. I'm not. Uh, and then put so, on a show and dance where he dressed down the, uh, uh, the white farmer. Roland Collier, uh, the white farmer, yeah. who said, is it acceptable that, you know, people, people are accusing us of illegally impounding animals. Uh, it hasn't been illegal. And, I, and uh, I'm not going to get into the case, but I've been researching the, 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 the famous case of impounding cattle here. And it is just... Uh, one of the most heartbreaking, shocking uh, cases of government negligence that uh, I've come across in, in, in a few years of covering uh, land matters in South Africa. Uh, but putting that to the side, uh, the farmer just asked, is it acceptable that people uh, uh, graze their cattle on other people's farms? And uh, Becky Taylor's response was, you are arrogant. You are arrogant. Yeah, how, to ask who do you think you are to ask me that question? Which uh, yeah. I think I think Clearly uh, may be somewhat confused as to how Republican forms of government are supposed to work. Right. So it did sound very. I was like, where where have I heard this before? Oh, you know, Charles Dickens's uh, accounts of of what France was like in 1780 is exactly like that. Monsieur Gagnon comes along. There was he in in a tale of two cities. Uh, the opening scene in France is with a with an aristocrat's uh, carriage riding over a peasant's uh, leg. Uh, snapping it in half and uh, and then shouting out of the window uh, how d how dare you get your leg in the way of my wheel and uh, <laughs> and his henchmen sort of get out there and see the wheel and they're like oh one of the one of the bolts has maybe come a bit loose like you're gonna have to pay for that and this guy is like his bone is sticking through his skin and they're like no don't worry about that what about uh, Monsieur Gagnon's like uh his wheel, you know, what are you going to do about that? And the other famous case, of course, is written about Kwame Anthony Appiah notices in, uh, uh, I think it was Lord Wellington, uh, was on a hunting party somewhere between sort of defeating Napoleon and becoming prime minister. And uh, on the hunting party, he accidentally shot a peasant who was in a tree trying to shake the tree to get the pheasants to fly into the sky or, or was just walking past or something. Anyway, he shot the pheasant, and then his friend, uh, a, a, a famous lady, Lady Grey or something, she turned to the peasant's wife and said, oh, what a distinction. You'll be able to tell everyone for the rest of your life and for three generations to come that your husband was shot by Lord Wellington. <laughs> I don't know. I find that it's more, uh, that's more charming than the French one. <laughs> Right, but Becky Taylor is somewhere in there. Like he's, he's, you know, they, there's, they've, they've all got the same idea about hierarchy, 
Uh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, it, it is a bit of a nobility thing. Um, can I just say on a on a brief tangent here that um, you know all the hot podcasts these days they're coming up with drinking games for people who listen to the podcast, um, or or like bingo for I know phrases that get said every time. <laughs> and I think that Appia has to be the centerpiece of our drinking game. It's the one where you do a shot every time you say someone mentions Appia. Yeah. You're very welcome to do that. Uh, we will take zero responsibility for the Yeah, that's, uh, that's a dangerous game to play. <laughs> Send the bill to Appia. Yes, yes. <laughs> for um, your stomach pump. I, I must say, though, also on another slight tangent, uh, while uh, many have criticized our Minister of Police's uh, headgear, um, I do actually think his hats are pretty cool and probably the best thing about him. Um, I don't think he has much else to recommend his... Uh, time in government um because of course this is not the first time that he has said something rather stupid and arrogant uh in public yeah no yeah no i'm very upset because sort of uh i live in yeovil and uh we we had a minor altercation between the community and the police and he came down to to pour oil on troubled waters and of course shortly after that uh about a month later there was uh serious second round of xenophobic attacks um and i'm not i'm not blaming him directly but i have watched the footage of of his meeting there and it really wasn't wasn't right anyway so so newcastle was one thing and then and now i've come down to peter maritzburg to cover to cover another story and the and the only sort of little anecdote that i want to tell really is when i was driving out of johannesburg to start my adventure on wednesday morning um, I was listening to 702 in the company car. It's the sort of only chance I get to listen to the radio. And that was the channel that was on. And there was Clemens Magnatella, who is the replacement for Eusebius MacKaiser uh, for the morning show, uh, which is really, I think, when 702 gets its, its sort of gouting traffic. And he was uh, raising the question of Heritage Day and whether it's just like Halloween, where, where sort of fancy city slicker uh, hobnobs dress up as if it's halloween uh thereby cheapening their culture and he sort of questioned whether <laughs> truly authentic black people would really partake in this kind of uh. um american style behavior he does laugh at yeah. his own jokes a lot so. okay that, no, that that's good but uh, i was about to ask is he better than than eusebius uh because eusebius was a real pain to have to listen to on on uh uh, 702 you know every every single spiel he wasn't just it wasn't just that he was wrong and racist it's that he was boring because every single thing was about well let's talk about how actually it's you know white people's fault or something like that um right he was very one but he was well i don't know i don't know i uh my mother uh, listened to eusebius mckeza pretty much every working day and she and she found him to be pretty varied it, it might be that we only tune in when he's doing that right no, um, okay that's always and, possible and she did get me to listen to him quite a bit, and I and I will say that I think he's I think he can be extremely entertaining, and that he's very bright. Yeah, I think he's yeah, one he, of is, the, he, the he, he most is a very intelligent woke South Africans. He writes and speaks fluidly, confidently, with wit. Um, well, that's exactly why he gets under under uh, my skin is because he's not just he's not just peddling rubbish. He's doing it very well. Yes. No. Exactly. So Clement. So Clement Manjatella is is uh, is not as skilled as you see with Mackayza. Um Anyway, so he was giving it a go, and and so then I went to Newcastle, and then to get from Newcastle to Peter Marisburg, I decided to go through uh, Msinga Province, Msinga Municipality, and uh, calorifically, uh, some some top uh, um, uh, professors figured out a few decades ago during apartheid in the seventies that Msinga was the, the poorest per capita, per calorie part of South Africa. And, uh, and it's, it, it's sort of not hard to see why. Um, it's east of the, you know, you've got the Drakensberg Mountains, you've got the foothills of the Drakensberg, uh, Moy River, Midlands, that kind of area, up to Harrysmith, which is um, quite fertile. There, there's strong rivers going through it. Uh, uh, because of the offflow from the Drakensberg, also the Drakensberg forces precipitation, forces hot air to rise. So you, so it's, it's, there's a lot of moisture, a lot of great quality soil, 
so from a land perspective, it's pretty good. But when you go further east, you hit Msinga, you start getting towards Mkandla, it's, uh, it's much more, it's much drier. It's much harsher, much more rocky. So that's the first according, problem. The second pro- according to Wikipedia, it's the, one of the few countries, uh, parts of the, uh, one of the few municipalities where the rural areas are growing and the urban areas are declining in terms of uh, number of people living in each. Right, and that's because the it urban areas have, in Msinga are not are are like are tuck shops. Yes, basically. Um, and it the is rural also, areas. It's also ruled by the IFP, put, I believe. Well, it has been. I'm not actually sure if it is. I th- I think it might have flipped. I think the vote. That's one of those edge ones. Mm. Because because there was that orange uh, Zulu Nationalist Party. Yeah, the National uh, Freedom Party, the breakaway. Although they they didn't do so hot last time. Yeah, but I think they, so in 2019, it might have come back to the IFP. I think that's it. Uh, but, but it has been, I mean, it's the IFP stronghold. It's, it's, I think it's the strongest. They, pro- they, they probably do have it in the bag. I'm just remembering that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just looked it up now. They have 24 of the 36 seats uh, as of 2016. There we go. So it's extremely traditional. I've been coming to Msinga since I was a small child because of the Alcocks. The, 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 the agriculturalist Neil Alcock uh, did this calorific calculation in the 70s, and he and his wife, Krina, who was a journalist, uh, strongly opposed to apartheid, uh, moved out from their cushy lives to, to settle in Msinga and teach people. The other problem, of course, is that it's overpopulated because of Bantustan apartheid planning. And so they came and they were like, well, it's overpopulated if you're farming like it's uh, 1653. But if you farm like the Dutch do or whatever with the latest technology, then you actually have plenty of resources to make things work. If you get proper irrigation, proper soil uh, protection, uh, control over grazing, uh, rotation cropping, you can really make it work. So they settled here to do that. They brought their two children up as Zulus, barefooted Zulus in a hut. Uh, Neil and uh, uh, Rory and Gigi Alcock, I know them both. Um, and uh, and anyway, Neil Alcock was shot dead during a dispute. Uh, he often intermediated, but uh, and successfully, but uh, one time wasn't so lucky. But Krina remains there. Anyway, so I was driving through, thinking about uh, this place that I visited throughout my life, place that I feel very deep connection to, and I was going through Tugela Ferry, which is which is probably the most populous part of it. And I mean, throughout, there were there were just so many Abafazi and Mtombazani. Uh, wearing very traditional gear, and not and not traditional gear like everyday traditional gear, like their 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 wedding best, you know, out yeah, on the yeah. streets. The, the whole with, the whole fancy do. Yeah, with the goats on the streets. I counted. I stopped counting after twenty goats on the streets. Uh, I stopped counting after the sixtieth pothole, uh, and uh, and I stopped counting after about the two dozenth fire. So many fires, many potholes, uh, many goats in the street, and also many, many beautiful ladies and beautiful gentlemen uh, dressed dressed to the nines with their leopard skins and their beads and their traditional sticks. And uh, and it was it was quite a sight to behold. And I thought, you know, if 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 Joe Burgers think that, uh, or Captonians or you know city slickers generally think that, uh, this idea of 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 enjoying the splendor of one's heritage is. Uh, is some American imposition, then uh, they should go to Together Ferry and and buy a packet of crisps because it'd be good for the economy, and uh, and, and it'd be very good for their minds. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I think I think that's 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 really good, um, really good point. Uh, people, uh, I think, forget how actually in years gone by, um, dressing up real fancy and dressing up in a sort of very ornate costumes was actually uh, one of the few delights people had in their lives. Um, and there's a long history of uh, people going to extraordinary lengths all across history to uh, dress up in the most fantastic costumes, even if they were relatively poor, um, because it was a great way to just have a good time. And yeah. uh, I think I think Heritage Day is a, is a time to sort of connect with with the past um, uh, and 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 see sort of the interesting ways where we come from, the the things that give us increased texture um, in this interesting yes. melting pot of a nation that we have. Yes, I thought John Steenhuisen spoke very well. I heard a little clip from, of his on Seven O Two, uh, which Manatella laughed at, where he said, "There's there's a rich tapestry. You know, we all bring our own strand, and you weave it together tight to make a thick, rich tapestry." And I and I thought that's a very nice metaphor because it's of course the same metaphor that uh, Kwame Anthony Appiah uses. Uh, 
<laughs> in his talk about Kentek cloth uh, being yes, something yes. that has Indonesian, Dutch, and Ghanaian roots, uh, from which we uh, uh, have shui shui here in South Africa. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, you know what was what was have the first shot, time? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I will thank you. Um, the first time I ever like when I was younger, realized that the idea of like something being purely African was actually kind of rubbish. I mean, let me put it this way. What, what, when a lot of people think of traditional South African food or, or like, uh, you know, might say, even say black food or African food, they'll often talk about something like pup, uh, you know, or some kind of starch like that. Right. It's like forms yeah, part of every South African meal. Yeah. Yeah. But then if you think about the origin of where that comes from, you're like, wait a second. Maize only made it to the continent in like the 1500s when Europeans brought it here. Yeah. And then people started trading it. So like the world is, is so much, even, it, you know, for the last 500 years, it's been integrating in incredible and interesting ways. Um, and so it's, it's kind of silly to think about something as being a, you know, purely African or purely European or purely Asian, whatever, because, you know, as it turns out, we've all been trading and talking for quite a while. Yeah, we hang out. People share good ideas. Like this cultural appropriation idea is the novelty. Sharing is is the norm. Is, and, is, uh, is that the stupidest thing that wokeness has come up with, cultural appropriation? I mean, they're, they're effectively, they're trying to ban... You're setting a very can... high bar. You're setting <laughs> look, look, there's a lot of competition in that, in that field. But the idea that cultural exchange needs to be banned entirely is so stupid because that's what the ending of cultural appropriation would mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my favorite thing about that is, uh, so Gigi Alcock of the Alcocks, um, he made a, a TV show, which at one point was the most watched TV show in South Africa. Uh, you probably have not heard of it because it was on SABC one, uh, and the podcast SABC one sort of overlap of audiences is probably not that great, but no, uh, it great. was called, <laughs> it was called Shishebo. Now Shishebo is a very classic, very cherished, uh, uh, Zulu dish, and uh, and you will find Kosas who say no, 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 no. You mustn't call it Zulu, but let's not get into that. Uh, and what a shishebo is basically is a curry, right? It's it's a curried meat stew, and uh, and <laughs> you know, so like one of the most archetypical, and and I'm not saying it's just like a, a chicken tikka masala. Like there's definitely. <laughs> that it, it's been refined to its own point, but it's no surprise that uh, that uh, that Zulus for centuries have been have been making uh, have been adding spices from India to 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 their meat, right? Because, uh, because as, as well as vegetables been... from South America, you know, and Central America, potatoes and carrots. Yeah, tomatoes. Just because you know Africa's been trading with India for like two thousand years. Also, cows, like if you're having beef in the first place, we've had this debate before, but but there's a very strong argument to be made that cattle only arrived in Africa uh, in the sort of 1200s uh, via the Arabs and then migrated down almost alongside the, the, the Bantu tribe's migration, um, partly enabling it. But uh, archaeological records are contested in that regard. Anyway, so... It's very yeah, difficult to do the, any history at that the, period. We, I mean, I, I feel like the, I feel like if we're going to use a South African metaphor, like so, the, so the tapestry is a little bit of a Ghanaian metaphor, uh, and, and and all credit to the Ghanaians, but I feel like if we're going to use a South African metaphor, it should be Shishebo, uh, because it is beloved. Mm -hmm. There are many gogos who 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 will boast of making a superior Shishebo. This is why the TV show was so watched, because it is a cooking contest to see who can make the ultimate Shishebo. <laughs> I can only imagine the the blood that flowed in the streets in the fierce competition. <laughs> it was it was heavy and heavenly because ultimately, like it's it's so much anger until you put the food in your mouth, and then it's just so nice that you have to uh, lick those lips and relish. Anyway, I think we're a bit of a shishebo. I think we're you know we're we're this we're this curry pot, uh, we're this Zulu curry pot uh, of. Of, of of clashing and and uh, sometimes harmonizing flavors and uh, mm. and we're almost too rich that is almost up you know in fact according to most work people that is the problem with south africa is that we're too rich yes uh, yes, yes 
and <laughs> we should we should yeah we shouldn't we shouldn't mix the flavors all together we should have them all in separate bowls yes which yeah. is it's it, which is kind of like how the previous mob tried to try to make this place work and uh, as it worked as that turned out it didn't work particularly well no it wasn't great yeah one day one day so 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 two podcasts that you have to look forward to um one day we have to do one i i thought we might do it today but but we we just didn't think it was right but i think uh the heritage of the institute of race relations is really amazing um mm. of all of the think tanks or or idea scrums or whatever you want to call us in the world i think we can be just about as proud of our heritage as any on earth and uh, of course the name of this podcast two crickets and a thorn tree is a tribute to helen susman who was the former president yes. of the institute of race relation and lone cricket of of classical liberalism in thorn tree of the apartheid parliament for for for, for many years um so but anyway one day one day we should really do a podcast where we talk about ira history um but the other is uh the other thing to talk about oh it's just escaped my mind because i'm i'm sort of i'm overwhelmed at how proud <laughs> i am to well, I think I think we started this off by talking about Eusebius Macaiser. Um, right. Uh, I I can talk, tell you. I think we, if we still have time towards the end of the show, I'll tell you about um, YouTube comments. Or would you like me to do that first, and then we'll come back to Eusebius? What would you prefer? Um, I I think I think let's do let's do let's do Eusebius and then let's do YouTube. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, so Eusebius wrote a column that you were not particularly pleased with uh, recently. Yeah, as this is so, as is his way of writing uh, infuriating columns, <laughs> very skillfully. Yeah, so, so Eusebius is now very well paid, and in the UK, um, perhaps funny, he's realized. Funny how the work that, often seem to end up in first world countries like that. Y- yes. So Justice Malala did the same thing. He's in Los Angeles, and look, I'm not against people moving out. I'm trying to move out myself, as I've said. Yeah, I've so am I. Study in the states. Um, uh, but but the, the woker you are, the more likely I'm, you are to succeed. I must say, justice justice I think has gotten woker since he moved to the US. Yeah, totally for sure. So he, I think he was doing a really good job when he was here, but as soon as he got there, um, I mean, he wrote this very strange piece uh, about the DA and 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 it being too white, and uh, and part of what irritated me is that he brought up Saul Plyke, as did Stephen Curtis. And uh, and in the same breath as sort of damning Helen Zilla for 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 saying that colonialism's leg- uh, legacy is not only negative, and this is just a this is just a, a, a long standing bugbear of mine uh, because the first full book that I read when I joined the institute from its library was Native Life in South Africa by Saul Plyke, which is basically about the founding of the ANC. Uh, the Land Act is coming into play. And and Plyke is is really concerned about that. You've already got a sort of past law thing going on. You've already got uh, laws against people that aren't white living in the free state versus the the Western Cape uh, former colony, which had uh, which had a franchise that was open to all races. I mean, it, there was a property sort of uh, precondition, so yeah. definitely, yeah, definitely wasn't. And, and you needed to be literate, I think, as well. Was the other yeah. requirement. So it wasn't it wasn't what we would now call a one man one vote system, um, but it was it was way further ahead. Anyway, so he was very worried about that being peeled back, and about uh, the Land Act of 1913 basically making it illegal for black people to do business uh, and live uh, in most of the country. And so the whole point of his exercise of going around and, and gathering people's stories, black and white, English and Afrikaans. Uh, uh, which at the time was just as deep a divide, the d- very divide that uh, uh, the Brits, I suppose, were trying to play, you know, uh, seal over by allowing Pretoria to to drive through a race nationalist policy. Um, and Blakey's whole mission was to go to London to appeal to the London press, uh, to appeal to Buckingham Palace, and to appeal to West- Westminster and Whitehall. Uh, which as, is where the foreign office sits, and as, uh, as, as a British ANC to do, yeah, as a British subject, a proud British subject, he said most Black South Africans are proud British subjects, um, and and to understand why he was appealing to the UK, why why he was appealing to to a, a set of a, a shared sense of uh, ethos, <clears throat> was that uh, was was in large part because the UK had abolished slavery Indeed. in Africa. 
And Plyke was fully uh, and, aware and, of the fact that it was a common practice until until Brits put an end to it. And he was very glad for that. And he was like, you guys have set up a very high standard and you've made promises of equality before the law for all British subjects. And so we want you to live up to that. So he wanted more colonialization, not less. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you another good example of that kind of thing. Um, I, I wrote this in my, my honors project uh, on, on firearm smuggling and firearms uh, in, in South Africa. And... Um, the Basutu, at some point, the Cape colonial officials attempted to disarm them um, because they didn't want them basically being able to cause trouble. Uh, and this was after the Basutu had already sort of become a client kingdom of the British Empire. And then they had been put into the Cape colony. Um, but they resisted the attempts because they said, look, we're British subjects. And as British subjects, we have a right to defend ourselves as guaranteed to all good Englishmen. <laughs> yes. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> and so... And so uh, you can't disarm us. And when yeah. the when the Cape colonial officials came to try and take away their weapons, they fired at them from the hills and they uh, fought a short guerrilla war against them called the Basutu Gun War. wasn't a lot of fighting, but, you know, some colonial police were killed and some Basutu villages were burned. And then uh, in the end of the day, the Cape said, Ugh, you know what, we're not actually going to bother with this. This is too much trouble. And they pushed Basutu land out of the colony again. They made it its own thing once again, and that's why Lesotho exists today. <laughs> that's why it's a separate country because they because they wanted like they wanted the rule they wanted London rules. Yes, uh, they wanted. Moscow they rules. said we're not we're not part of the Cape Colony. We're part of the British Empire. <laughs> yes, yes. So 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 I mean for for you know Justice Malala, Malala Stephen Curtis, they're just they're just consigning uh, Saul Plyke's legacy to 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 behind a cage, which is. Uh, bizarrely enough where his grave is it's currently caged up um oh. so so that bugs me but you see mr kaiser bugs me more in a way because he's so much more eloquent and he makes the case that Mbali and tuli should uh win and that john stenazen should lose and he does so in the mail and guardian this is for leadership of the dia of course in, in in today's edition yes and uh so here's so here's what's unsurprising about it i I heard from one of the former leaders of the Democratic Alliance um, that uh, Eusebius Makeza is actually one of the most respected journalists in certain parts of the DA. And and if I wanted to understand why, I was told to read um, his book, Would I Vote for the DA? So I did. And there he is writing sort of at the end of Helen Zilla's reign, uh, and he compares her to Tony Leon and sort of is wondering about whether Muzi Maimani should take over the show. And he says, here's the great thing about uh, Tony Leon. Uh, he is a combative, robust, reasonable thinker, and he takes his uh, argumentative skills to parliament, which is a foremost duty for opposition leaders. And, uh, you know, our parliament, uh, in some sense, could be like the British parliament, uh, which is famous for its rowdiness. And its wit. Uh, and its wit. Uh, and uh, and yet at the time, this was obviously before the EFF, uh, Eusebius bemoaned the sort of uh, lugubrious, sort of dragging through molasses kind of saccharine nature of so many parliamentary processions. You, most famous images at the time were of, of, of people falling asleep. And so he thought Tony Leon's very good for that. But he said the problem with Tony Leon is he's too one note. South Africans need a shoulder to cry on, especially black people need someone to empathize with their black pain. Uh, his phrasing, not mine. Uh, and uh, and Tony Leon just doesn't know how to do it. So he said Helen Zilla is much better at it, but ultimately she's also not very good at doing it. And now he's got the same argument. He says John Steenhuizen, great opposition uh, politician, uh, great debater, really smart guy, really understands and respects the rules, really understands and respects the significance of fact-based reasoning, uh, but ultimately to one note, uh, not good at not good enough at being a shoulder to cry on, uh, whereas in Bali and Thule does have that capacity. And I mean, part of what's really weird about this is that he, he says, for example, uh, I'm just sure that if John Steenhuizen wins, he won't accept Mbali and Thule with grace and fold her warmly into his arms. He doesn't have that compassionate side. He he's too argumentative. Uh, but I can't 
I can't really find John Stan hasn't saying anything particularly nasty about Mbali and Tuli or about no. the party. Whereas, and especially about the party when the party was being led in a direction that he now clearly thinks was wrong. Whereas Mbali and Tuli has said the most outrageous things about the DA. I mean, I was listening to, to her. She's his biggest a, critic. A, <laughs> yeah, I was listening to an interview with her, uh, with a foreigner, and, and, and halfway through, the foreigner said, wow, uh, the ANC's got a, a much more eloquent uh, politician here than than I'm used to hearing. Uh, and I was like, no, 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 this person's in the DA. And she, and she was like, no, 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 this person cannot be in the DA. She just said the DA is systemically racist and completely useless and detached from reality and bound to lose forever. Uh, huh. And I, I said, well, that and she, she is in and the DA. And you want to lead this party, you say? <laughs> So Mbali and Tuli is two one note. She's got no grace. She's got like no, you know, if she loses, there's no way that she can, there's, there's, I don't see how she could in all good conscience stay in the party. And if she wins, I don't see how she could stay in the party and not fire half of, or, or, or oust half of uh, the, the federal executive. I mean, she said that is- she will not speak to Helen Zilla. She said Helen Zilla has has proven herself to be an unthinking person, and she won't speak to her. It's, it's right, not... which would be a bit a bit awkward because a lot of her campaign has been about the party apparatus is being used to purge people, and uh, uh, we need to bring the whole party together. I mean, this has been some of her campaigning messaging that sort of seems at odds with her criticisms of the DA, because if everyone's an unthinking bigot and half the party, yeah. then surely. <laughs> they need to all be fired into the sun, right? In the yes. Bali and Tuli plan. Yeah, no, you really do have to fire racist bigots into the sun. So, well, not into the sun. Uh, but you've got to get them out of your party. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so, so basically sun. the point is, Eusebius writes him as this column that is completely detached from reality. Like, John Steen hasn't has said many uh, warm and compassionate things, including the lovely speech that he made on Heritage Day, uh, including sort of early lockdown days. Um I think he's, you know, as much as any sort of cisgender straight male can be, uh, he 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 strikes me as as a compassionate and, and caring dude. Anyway, uh, and in Bali and Tuli, not so much. I can't make sense of what Eusebius is saying or how he expects any readers to believe it, unless you understand uh, compassionate to mean black and uncompassionate to mean white. And one note to mean white. Like John Stianazen's great, but he's two one notes. If you recast that as John Stianazen is great, but he's he's always going to be white, then I see his argument. Uh, but yes. then his argument <laughs> just becomes the same as everyone else's. Yeah, that uh, is that in, is in other the words, DA's argument. That is the criticism yeah, by the commentaries of the DA all the time. Eusebius Macaza is better than the rest of the woke guys because they just straight up come up and say it. Like Adrian Bassan just straight up says it. You know, John John Stianazen is white, and the problem is there's too many white people in charge of things, not counting me being in charge of the world's largest newspaper. Uh, so that argument really <laughs> falls apart. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> what did I say? The world's. <laughs> the world's. No, the country's largest But newspaper. maybe Basson is planning on being the greatest newspaper editor in the world. I'm sure he dreams about well, it at night. <laughs> I mean, he is part of the world's largest like media company. Must bad. Yeah, no, huge. that's fair. Anyway, that's fair. Uh, so Eusebius Mackayser distinguishes himself by 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 not doing the same thing as Stephen Curtis. Stephen Curtis's great line was the thing about South Africa that that the DA doesn't get is that black people are poor and white people are rich, and everyone knows this. There's good evidence and there's good lived experience. So, so I mean, I kind of I love like last <laughs> night I had dinner in Peter Maritzburg, and uh, no. The night before last night, I had dinner in Newcastle. Yes. And the staff were half black, half white. The 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 patrons were, you know, I'd say a third black, a third Indian, a third white. And uh, next to me was a table of eight uh, medical students uh, in their practice year, all loudly discussing various things and getting very drunk and being very jolly. None of them were white. I mean, that's about the most upwardly mobile table you can sit around. And uh, and they were all having a great time. The only the only uh, the common enemy seemed to be sort of white Afrikaners. Every now and then they'd sort of make a favor joke. Um, but other than that, they seemed they seemed really switched on and very sweet. And uh, and was I surprised? No, you know, 
it's like how can you be, when you see a black dude driving a fancy sports car are you surprised no uh unless you're steven no. curtis then you're really surprised it's it's, it's <laughs> the lazy stereotypes that make up so much of our political commentary they're just they're like boring, unrefined regurgitations of the same thing that everyone's been writing in columns for the last 20 years. It's just hideous. Uh, and it may, it's one of the reasons why I struggle to read a lot of South African commentary, because it's always just the same. Uh, the DA is too white, the EFF is too boisterous, and the ANC just needs to, if it just changes a few things, it'll get back on track. Yeah, it's all going to be okay. Um, speaking of, of stupid columnists writing things, uh, that the greatest hot take machine in South Africa, Chris Roper. Has, oh, uh, my God. Dude, have you read that thing? <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but I've see, I see it now on my screen here that he said that the uh, the coverage. So so uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably heard the story of uh, the Fairview racehorse uh, racetrack in, in Port Elizabeth, which was attacked basically by uh, disgruntled staff plus uh, a group of their neighbors. Um, who decided to go and basically burn down the stables. Um, and they killed some of the horses. Uh, and they had pangas and not I think I think there's, uh, to be fair, I think there's only one confirmed dead horse. Yeah, there's only one confirmed dead horse. Um, but several but they, injured. They injured. They injured a bunch, yeah. Uh, they, I've seen some of the pictures of some of the injuries and stuff. Anyway, uh, so apparently Chris Roper believes that the real problem here is that uh, people covered race in a racist manner. Now... <laughs> I take it you've read it, Gabriel, so I'll let you dissect dissect it. But uh, I would just like to remind everyone that Chris Roper has also written an article. He's written two uh, uh, zingers of the most articles. amazing. This uh, guy one is where, a piece of work. <laughs> one where he claimed that Helen Ziller was a greater threat to South African democracy than Julius Malema, which is yeah. quite a warm, a, a pretty warm take if one is, <laughs> if one is Dude, uh, measuring I would say, things. If, if that was a shishebo, it would be too hot. That is too Very hot much. to be a shishebo. <laughs> and his other claim was a rather sort of weird piece about North Korea, where he says a number of crazy things, including uh, criticism of North Korea is based on racism. <laughs> and actually, and is, you know, yeah. you can see in the in the propaganda videos that like North Korean people look kind of happy with their leadership. Yes. So why yes. who are we who are we evil imperialist foreigners to impose on them this idea that they should have human rights and be treated to uh, dignity with dignity or, and respect instead of being anything murdered? Anything other than cabbage. Who are we to say that cabbage is yeah. not enough? Exactly. Do you, They're the perfectly happy. Called, the, the piece is called the new N word, North Korean, and his and his basic <laughs> argument there is that. Like people who want to say the N word but can't because they're going to get tabooed, uh, would or cancelled would rather say North Korean. So that was yes, that yes. is flaming hot. And and how uh, to suggest that, a, that a, and also yeah. suggesting that this that the North Korean state, which regularly threatens nuclear annihilation of the entirety of Japan, the United States, and South Korea, uh, is actually not crazy, and to call them crazy is racist. Yeah. So. So coming from that guy, uh, you have an argument that the the coverage of of the of the attack on the horses was racist, and it starts out by him saying, "Guys, check it out. If you want to know what racism is, let's look at the coverage of Jacob Zuma's statement that uh, black people shouldn't have pets. All you need to do is look at the headlines." And he throws up some headlines because it was that story was covered around the world. It was 2013 or so. Jacob Zuma was president at the time, so he was an important figure. And he said that black people are just copying white culture when they when they have pets. And I mean, there is there's there's like a good idea there, which is that uh, environmentalists shouldn't care more about non-human animals than human animals. Right, which human is a animals, thing you actually see all the time on. Well, anything. Yeah. Letters to newspapers, social media, everywhere. If you see a discussion about something horrible happening to someone, you almost always say, see someone saying, oh, this is why I only give to, to char charities with animals because animals are innocent and people are horrible, which yeah. is, I think, quite a ugly view. Yeah, so I think it's a bad view, and props to Zuma for, for, for pushing against that view. But the context in which he was saying it was about, was about like black people walking dogs publicly in the streets and uh, yeah, it was a culture war thing, you know. We, yeah. We've had a culture war long before America of this of this sort of where the, with, with traditionalists pitted against modernists, 
and and right. the traditionalists are the wokies who into uh cultural appropriation as a stigma so you must stick to your own kind you must stick to your own ways no change yeah, that, no mix that your no the blood updates. of your race demands that you behave in certain ways and dress in certain ways which is a, yeah. an interesting idea so zuma was all about kings having uh ceremonial dances with with uh, many virgin maidens flashing their breasts uh at him and uh, and having many of his own wives but also using the Western system of divorce when it was convenient. Anyway, Zuma liked wearing a leopard skin and he <laughs> liked wearing a suit. He was a man of many suits and uh, and good for him in a way. Uh, but, the, but the argument, I mean, he did say that black people shouldn't have pets, dogs for pets, because it's a white thing. Uh, and I think it is fair to, to ridicule that uh, and then to pull apart the good point that he has and say, look, here's the good point. And uh, maybe we can cut him a little bit of slack for using a Zulu idiom, but also like looking and looked at in the broader context of his style of leadership in the ANC, he has been a huge race beta. And uh, and this is just a particularly funny example of that. So we're also going to criticize that. Anyway, Chris Roper, just by looking at the headlines, can tell that it's racist. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and then he says, and, and, and he doesn't unpack why. He, it's just so obvious to him because he's, I mean, his race star is like dinging. Uh, so, so it's then he says, and just like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have some racism, and he says the Daily Maverick did the best because they said um, horses that were quote stoned and stabbed end quote uh, in furor at Fairview Racetrack or something to that effect. And he says, you know, the Daily Maverick has done the best there because they because they put the stoned and stabbed in quotes to show that it's a claim that's been said uh, but not yet verified. Which he contrasts with uh, Times Live, which said horse slaughtered, and uh, News Twenty Four, uh, which which said horses killed. Now Times Live might have overstated that. Maybe they said horses slaughtered. Maybe they had a plural. Maybe they didn't. Uh, News Twenty Four was in this case the best because uh, they just reported the fact that horses were shot and uh, that a horse was 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 uh, was killed. Um, and if you know that that has happened, then putting inverted commas around it is not actually best practice journalism. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if Times Life put horses instead of horse, like, whatever the issue there is, it's not racism. How yeah. does Chris Roper prove that it's racism? By quoting Willem Petzer. Uh, <laughs> so he, he proves that, the, that, the, that, like, that Tiso Blackstar Media is racist by quoting... Willem Petzer, who's a private YouTuber. It's it's right. it's the most obvious case of guilt <laughs> by association. Like, if you want to go after Willem Petzer, go after Willem Petzer. I've got big problems with that guy. I think, you know, there was a there was a case where an SABC interviewer went to a white-only squatter camp, which is already a weird thing, but then sort of asked him, like, why don't you let other people in here, which is an even weirder thing. I mean, it's just such a weird case. And then Willem Petzer <laughs> yeah. added to the weirdness by... I don't know, just making absurd claims about about the about the demographics of poverty in this country, um, yes. which I which I think no classical liberal should make. I think you know we. Well, I think he I think he would reject the term classical liberal quite strongly. I think he calls himself a communitarian or something. Right. So he uh, he is a communitarian. That's right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Look. I, I have my take on the story. I'm kind of outraged by the outrage about the outrageous reporting. Um, yes. Because uh, well, I, really, I really don't care about horses particularly. I'm going to be honest. Um, I don't like them. I think they're better as, as, <laughs> as clue. I joke. So this is, I don't think that's... This is where Nick and I disagree. <laughs> yes. I, I think I'm riding not, a look, horse is the, is the greatest exercise you can do. No, that, that's definitely true. I, I don't dis wonderful I don't disagree. Creatures. I'm just not particularly sentimental about them. But I will Something say that you have to be a bit weird and messed in the head to think that it's not a terrible thing when an angry mob, um, which includes at least one disgruntled employee, but also a lot of people who are basically just neighbors of the disgruntled employee, show up to a place, burn it down and trash it yeah. because... And I believe the story, according to 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 uh, some of the reporting, I think uh, done by people like Ronaldo Chaos and others, was that um, uh, 
there was a groom who was kicked by a horse uh, a couple of months ago, and he stabbed the horse because he was pissed off with it, basically, for hurting him. Uh, and he got mm -hmm. fired for this. Um, and then, uh, because he was fired, Wait. the company the company horse wanted to... Horse kicks man, man stabs horse, man gets fired. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is, I think, in February, right? Uh, and then because he was fired, I think he wanted to get, he wanted a UIF payout or something like that. Um, but right. then they said, no, we fired you, so we can't give it to that. So he then went and basically stoked up his neighbors and he got a whole bunch of people who were kind of annoyed with the way things were being run to say, guys, we should go and take revenge on these people because they're not giving us our fair shake. Now, look, who knows what detail of that is true or whatever, but there's no, there's no world in which a, a, a well-functioning society has angry mobs showing up and burning down things. This is not good. This is not good for the social fabric. This is not or good for the economy. It's not good for society. Or stabbing horses. Like it's just it's not good. It's this is this is yeah. how this is the unraveling of the whole blanket. This is the spoiling Dude, of the of the of the of the, the meat. Um like the whole if this kind of thing gets more common, and it already is relatively common, uh the whole the whole bag that is South Africa is gonna split open and it's gonna be very ugly when that happens. So, so from that sense, it does this, freak me out and outrage me. Yeah. My favorite case of this was uh, between Dundee and Pomeroy, which are sort of just north of, to get a ferry just south of uh, Newcastle, in the upper half of KZN. Some guys were very frustrated about uh, something, service delivery, I think. So they took a pickaxe and they, they ripped up the tar on the highway. Yeah, I did see that. It uh, was not no, the greatest you, moment. You didn't see it, so, Nick. It was quite okay, a thing to see. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the pictures of it. And it was not the greatest moment of protest in uh, our it recent was, history, I don't think. It was so, dude, South Africa, I mean, we are original. We've got guys pulling apart a highway, burning down a fire station, petrol bombing a place you can buy medicine. Like, I don't know. I don't know if we're trying to win some award. But and I and I don't know what that award is, uh, but I think that you know I think history will look back on us as uh, you know if, if I can imagine someone in the twenty second century writing a performance art thesis about how South Africans injected the most uh, self destructive creativity into the yeah. into the democratic process of in, in the, anyone in the twenty first century. In the in the 22nd century, when uh, uh, when the the hottest new fashions are coming out of New Delhi, which will of course be the centre of the planet, um, they will write some interesting things about South Africa. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we're we're on to the last sort of ten minutes, I think, here, or last seven minutes. Okay, take um, us home with the 1619 project of uh, <laughs> of uh, of East Southern Europe, just to give some context. The yeah, yeah, New York yeah. Times has been on a mission to uh, get people to rethink American history. They think it's terrible to think of the American Civil War as being the major incident to end slavery. They say that, in fact, slavery was crucial to the American story. Crucial to the American story, but also being challenged since much earlier, and that the real heroes yes. of the abolition movement they, they, uh, were so black and overlooked. They uh, they also originally made the claim that the true founding of America was um, not 1776, which is when the Declaration of Independence is is, is made, but of course uh, in 1619 when I think the first major slaves group of slaves arrives in in, in yeah, America. Yeah, that's their key. Um, that's the a claim which they are now scrubbing from all of their websites, text, and changing. Uh, by the way, yes, uh, which is something to be covered at another time. Soviet but, style. Uh, when new facts come in, you don't update, you you excise. Yes. <laughs> uh, and this they won a Pulitzer Prize for, which is just one of the great, you know, the, 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 the sometimes the Pulitzer Prize committee really hands them out to... Dude, to they should be... Projects. Someone should get a Pulitzer <laughs> Prize for picking apart the highway. I mean, it's an act of genius. <laughs> yeah, it perfect. is original. Nick, it is original. I don't know that you yeah, can find yeah, that original. Event. Original. I, I've I've had some I've had some fever dreams of a pretty original too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the if anyone knows anything about the history of the Balkans, um, 
they will know that it is a part of the world that is characterized by quite a lot of uh, conflict and nationalism, among other things. And um, there's a Twitter account called Cursed Balkan Comments, from which just takes screenshots of things people purporting to be from the Balkans say in arguments on YouTube about various things, you know, like... Uh, uh, is is the country North Macedonia or is it actually Macedonia? This is a big thing. Anyway, and I found one which I'm not going to read because the English is not so great and it's a little bit confused. But basically, it's an Albanian guy who commented on a YouTube video about Albania's history that the real hidden truth about Balkan history was that actually everyone was an Albanian. And Albanians ruled the whole Balkans. And so, firstly, the whole of the Balkans should actually be part of Albania. But then he went on to claim that the only reason that people who are living there think that they are um, not Albanians is because, contrary to the historical record which shows that Slavic peoples migrated into the area and assimilated locals, uh, that actually what happened was uh, gypsies came and brainwashed everyone into thinking they were Slavs. And you can see this by the similarities between the Slavic language and the Sanskrit language. Um, which are both Indo-European languages, and therefore, obviously, Slavic derives from Sanskrit by this uh, commenter's theory. And um, so the real project of Albania is to unbrainwash all the people of the Balkans so that they will realize that they're all, all in fact, Albanians and come back to Albania, which is an interesting view of history. It's amazing. <laughs> and, it's amazing. And it's a lot like all the other race nationalist narratives, isn't it, right? Yeah. Nazi Germany. Uh, we ruled all of Europe, us Indo-Aryan uh, race superior people, and then evil Jews came and they twisted us against ourselves and they poisoned us with Christianity. And now we are uh, in a in a lowered state and we don't rule our natural uh, homeland. Um, a lot of the sort of race nationalist, pan-Africanist stuff always talks about how Africa is basically the Garden of Eden. And then white people come in and destroy the whole thing. They put the poison pill in and turn black people against each other and mess up the whole continent. Uh, so in this case, instead of Jews or white people, apparently gypsies are to blame. And if anyone knows anything about the Balkans, gypsies are not treated particularly well by many of the peoples of the Balkans. Yeah, they're not popular. And also, I mean, I love that because one of the big issues in the Balkans is that uh, people are now ethnic, ethnically defined almost by religion. So Croats yes. and Serbs and Bosnians are, are kind of like Orthodox Christians uh and Muslim. western christians and muslims and catholics and muslims and and yeah and i love the thought that this is that this is part of a grand gypsy scheme <laughs> yes <laughs> to, to to get not, to do to to assume control apparently which doesn't seem to be particularly successful if you well they're controlling from beneath some people control from above gypsies might be the poorest <laughs> <laughs> Most looked down upon vagrants of Eastern Europe, but they are secretly in control because what really matters is how you feel. Yes, this is this is the important thing. So I think this guy should get a Pulitzer. Like this is a, yeah, this is he is tapping into the Gestalt, into the Zeitgeist. What the hippest idea in the 21st century is that your family is not the people who brought you up and and put blood, sweat, and tears into into teaching you to flip and say thank you when you get something nice and to work now and then it's actually everybody who sort of looks the same as you and uh, your esteem rises and falls together and and that idea i mean why not why not send it to the balkans why not why not plant the seed there and see and see and see what exactly. it can do that, like they're clearly on another level of race nationalism to the rest of the world nicole hannah jones who is one of the chief editors of the 1619 project would probably sit to their feet in awe and say, wow, these people, they really know how to do this properly. <laughs> yeah. Excepting that they don't have an institution as big as the New York Times behind them yet. No. Uh, the, the difference is they are relegated to, yeah, that, that kind of race nationalism, as I said before the show, is relegated to uh, YouTube comments in Albania, and I'm sure probably some high school classrooms, and that's about as far as it goes. Uh, whereas... But that's, uh, where it's, that's where it's most authentic. Like, yes. As soon as... You printing something in new york times you actually are already undermined by you know the ownership structures the corporate nature the fact that they have investors of all sorts you know it's already it's already too late to be pure yeah, and authentic we, we we of course give uh pulitzer prizes to our versions uh 
uh, we, you know, I, I can imagine uh, <laughs> an alternative world where the Balkans is the center of the earth and Nicole Hannah-Jones is posting about the 1619 project in the YouTube comments section. Yes. Um, <laughs> <Of America. laughs> yes. <laughs> the outer provinces of America. <laughs> um, anyway, I wow. think I think this is about about us wrapped up. So does uh, do you have anything to recommend? Um, for this week. Oh, I, yeah, I, as always, I'm going to ask you to go first, Nick. Uh, I was hoping that you wouldn't say that because, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I don't have any good ideas. I guess I'll just plug, plug myself, um, because that's the way you do things in the modern age. Uh, oh, this, this reminds me, I saw on Twitter, someone said, you know, I'm thinking about trying this new thing. It's called a conversation. It's just like a podcast, but you don't record it. Hmm. And I mm. said, but how are you supposed to plug your Patreon account? Exactly. They didn't, they didn't reply to me. Anyway, so I'm going to plug myself here and say, um, please read my This Week's in History. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't entirely know necessarily what's driving me to write them, but I really do enjoy writing them, and I really do enjoy seeing people read them. Um, they're on the Daily Friend every Friday. Uh, and, and this week really I, wrote about, I wrote about, what's his name? Ferdinand Magellan, 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 uh, the Portuguese explorer who, on behalf of the Spanish crown, well, set off to circumnavigate the globe or to find a route to India uh, from the west. And uh, he didn't make it, but his ships did. One of them did. Um, it was quite a quite a tale. Uh, he also held the first mass in the Philippines, which is an interesting little bit of history if you know anything about the Philippines. Um, so with that sh shameless self-plugging done, uh, Gabriel, what do you have? Well, my, recommend my recommendation is first and foremost to enjoy the sunshine. It's pretty brutal, but I think uh, if you are having a long weekend and you combine some beer or some wine with some sunshine, uh, that might be good for your soul. I'm looking yes. forward to... I, I, I'm working all through this weekend. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to doing a bit of that next week. Um, and in terms of, of things to watch or read, I think you've got to watch some chess. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, since you talked about the Balkans, there's been this huge scandal that continues to embroil the chess world. Uh, well, I think it was Albania. Uh, there was an international chess competition between countries. And uh, uh, the, the, the final match was between Russia and India. And uh, basically... The Confederation called it a draw because uh, uh, there'd been a mouse slip or two that had kind of pipped it one oh, way yeah. instead of the other. And so they're like, well, let's just call it a draw. But the Albanians were really irritated because – so the Indians lost in the final, but they called it a draw, if I remember right. But the Albanians lost to the Indians in the semifinal, also because of a mouse slip. But that time, it wasn't called a draw. They said India wins. So oh, – the Albanians have been furious about this. Uh, Modi and Putin have been delighted. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and it just, I don't know. I, 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 had a really, I had a really lovely chess match with a friend last Saturday, three matches in a row. And it, and it reminded me of, 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 of why I love chess. Um, and it's basically that there's this epistemology game, which we've talked about in the show, where people develop the skill of pretending not to know what's going on. Uh, so this is key to all race nationalists. When you, when you come up with an argument showing how their policies actually make things worse, especially for the people that they nominally say they care the most for, uh, they always pretend not to know, pretend not to understand. If you hit them with stats, they won't remember them. You know, they, it, it's, it's, just a huge, it's just a huge part of life to pretend not to know, to win by ignorance and and there's so many things that lure us into that and chess is is kind of an antidote to that because you're spending your time trying to read someone else's mind and they're trying to read your mind uh in this very slow somber sweet way and uh, and so you've got to you know you've got to try your best if it's going to be any fun uh <laughs> rather than and trying your best means like pretending to know as much or acting as if you know as much as you possibly could about what yeah. the next move is going to be or the next of the next or the next of the next. And I don't know, just honest competition, like running a race where, you know, the person who gets to the finish line first is the one who wins. Um, things like that are, 
I have been finding increasingly refreshing and 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 uh, congenial. You know, there's camaraderie to it. You win a game, you lose a game. If you've really both been trying, uh, it feels it really feels human and nice in a way that it doesn't. Even if you win or lose a debate, where where both sides aren't actually putting the facts forward that they know because it doesn't suit their narrative. Like there's just something kind of tacky and gross about I feel kind of gross even when I just watch a debate like that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I recommend that you play chess or, or just some competition. Competition sounds aggro and it sounds divisive, but, but if you, two people with very clear set rules trying their best, um, uh, yeah, Aegon. It's called Aegon uh, uh, in ancient Greek. Uh, from this we get the word agony. Uh, but we also get the word protagonist <laughs> and antagonist. And I've just been remembering like the agony of playing the epistemology game of pretending not to know and and the and the and and the wonderful theater of of having a protagonist and an antagonist battle it out, frankly. and uh, and the, and the Greeks thought this was the source of spirituality or a great source of human worth. and and I agree. I think it's a, it's like having a cold shower on a hot day. <laughs> Actually, I could go for that right now. Um, I think also we uh, – I have two other recommends very quickly. Um, uh, Times of India, uh, go follow them on social media or check out their website occasionally. It's just kind of interesting to follow because, of course, they cover a lot of stories that don't make it outside of India, and it's a little window into the world of, of how that country works. And so, so it's a pretty good newspaper. It's probably one of the best left in the world, actually, as far as I can tell. Um, not that I'm an expert. Uh, and the other thing is if you like – playing around with U.S. elections and want to work out how uh, people are going to win and what's going on, uh, there's a great website called 270 to win, 270, and then the then to, and then win.com, uh, where you can create your own map of the U.S. Electoral College uh, and play around with the different states and see who needs to win what if you want to uh, see how the election might shake out. Anyway, I think that's all for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and... Uh, We'll catch you around. Keep that flag of liberty flying and stay safe, everyone.